You are now listening to the March 27th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, a sermon, and divine intervention. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello, Heart and Soul Gospel Ministry listeners. This is Brian Winston with Story of Kings. Today we'll share the story of Ahaz, the twelfth king of Judah. We find his record in 2 Kings chapter 16 and 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Two whole chapters are written on him. Unfortunately, his stories are not of faithfulness and devotion to God. His stories are of unfaithfulness and wickedness he committed against God. The name Ahaz came up briefly last time. He is the son of Jotham, the eleventh king of Judah. Some of the listeners may recall, Jotham reigned over Judah together with his son Ahaz for four years before he died. After his father's death, Ahaz started reigning on his own in the seventeenth year of Pekah, the 18th king of Israel. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king on his own, and he reigned in Judah for 16 years. Here is how the Bible assesses Ahaz. The following passage comes from verses 2 to 4 in 2 Kings chapter 16. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and even made his son pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, and on the hills, and under every green tree." The Bible tells us that Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of God, just as most of the kings before him. He walked in the ways of the wicked kings of Israel. It appears this wickedness reached a new height with Ahaz. His wickedness surpassed that of Jeroboam I, the king of Israel, who allowed the people to make the gold calves and other sacrifices in Bethel and Dan. Also, The Bible tells us that Ahaz sacrificed his son in the fire following the detestable practices of the nations that God had driven out away from the descendants of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 9 to 12 lists nine detestable things the Canaanite nations practice. God said that he would drive them out from the land of Canaan because of these detestable things. Ahaz practiced the most despicable things that the people of Canaan practiced, including sacrificing children to idols. Furthermore, Ahaz conducted sacrifices on the high places himself. The other kings acquiesced the presence 
of these high places and passively allowed their people to offer sacrifices there. Sacrificing on the high places under large trees on the hills was one of the detestable practices of the Canaanites. Ahaz actively participated in such evil practices and sinned against God. Ultimately, God judged against Ahaz and Judah. Here are the verses 5-7 to in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Wherefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of King Aram, and they defeated him and carried away from him a great number of captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who inflicted him with heavy casualties. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah a hundred and twenty thousand in a single day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew Maasiah, the king's son, and Azrakam, the ruler of the house, and Elkanah, the second to the king. God judged against Judah by raising Aram and the northern kingdom of Israel. These two neighboring countries invaded Judah and drove off the people of Judah as captives or slaughtered them. The reason was unequivocally because of Ahaz's sin in how he had forsaken God of his ancestors, as stated in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 6. Nonetheless, the faithful God did not eliminate Ahaz and Judah completely. Even though Ahaz did evil in the sight of God, God did not blot out Ahaz and Judah completely in order to keep his promise to David. Of course, God wanted Ahaz to turn back to him. However, Ahaz did not turn back to God. He continued to engage in detestable things in the sight of God. For that, God struck Judah once again. The Edomites gathered their forces and attacked Judah. In the end, they carried away the people in Judah as captives. Then the Philistines invaded the land and southern cities of Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 19 tells us that God allowed them to do so to humble Judah and, of course, because Ahaz was still sinning against God greatly. Unfortunately, Ahaz did not turn back to God. He did not seek God for help, but instead asked Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, for help. He lowered himself to the king of Assyria, declaring that he was the servant and vassal of the king of Assyria and promised to serve Assyria. To demonstrate his allegiance, Ahaz stripped silver and gold from the house of the Lord and from the treasuries of the king's house and sent them as a tribute to the king of Assyria as a sign of his loyalty and begged the king of Assyria to save him from the hands of Aram and Israel. The king of Assyria granted Ahaz's request and captured Damascus, the capital of Aram, northeast from Judah, 
and killed Rezan, the king of Aram. Subsequently, Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. Here, Ahaz again committed another grievous sin against God. Ahaz saw a large altar in Damascus. He drew the pattern of the altar and sent it to Uriah, the priest in Jerusalem, and told him to build an altar just like it. He went even further. Ahaz ordered to change the shape of utensils of the house of God that God appointed to that of the shape of the altar of a foreign god. Not only that, he moved the location of the bronze altar which Solomon offered to God and declared that he would use the bronze altar himself only when he had anything to inquire of God. Regarding this claim that he would use the bronze altar to inquire of God, the biblical scholars tell us that the word to inquire in this context was likely meant to inquire a spirit as in pagan practices. In other words, he used God's bronze altar for a pagan ritual, one of the most despicable acts that God ordered not to practice. Ahaz eventually ordered his people to give all sacrifices at the new altar that he made. Ahaz continued to chip away at the house of God afterward, stripping it for his wicked purposes. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 18, that Ahaz did so because he was afraid of the king of Assyria and was trying to please him. To please the king of Assyria, Ahaz made modifications to the house of God. He also worshipped the idol of Assyria. He was completely subjugated to the king of Assyria. Then how do you think the king of Assyria treated Ahaz in return? The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 20-21 to 21, that Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, attacked Ahaz instead of befriending him. Although Ahaz took a portion out of the house of the Lord and the palace of the king and of the princes and gave them to the king of Assyria, that did not help him. Instead of seeking God when troubled, Ahaz went on to sin against God even more. He did not turn back to God when God raised Aram to strike him. Instead, he served foreign gods and kings. In his own twisted way, he thought Aram won the war against him because the gods of Aram helped them and believed that the gods of Aram would help him just as they helped Aram if he would bow down to them. But the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 23, that worshiping gods of Aram became the downfall of Ahaz and all Israel. Ahaz embraced foreign gods and worshiped them. He committed evil in the sight of God as if God did not exist. He gathered and destroyed artifacts from the house of God. He closed the doors to the house of God. Furthermore, he built altars for foreign gods in every corner of Jerusalem, and he built the high places in every city of Judah to burn incense to those gods. Ahaz did not turn himself back to God 
Despite God's faithfulness and patience, rather, he chose to defy God, causing God to bring judgment against him. He walked on the path to his own destruction. This concludes today's episode. We will continue on with the story of Kings next time. Have a blessed week.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Miter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is Easter, Jesus Forgives. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Well, this morning I want to introduce you to three types of people that Jesus forgave during his lifetime. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. But in these three people, these three types of people, you will get a really good feel for the type of people that Jesus is willing to forgive. The first group of people that Jesus chose to forgive during his lifetime were those who had made really, really bad moral decisions. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. The religious leaders one day brought to Jesus a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now, adultery is a really big sin. It's a really bad sin. Now, the self-righteous religious leaders did this to test Jesus. They wanted to see what he would do. What would Jesus do with a woman caught in adultery? Well, you want to know what Jesus did? He forgave her. John 8, 11 says, And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus was absolutely smashing the false conceptions that existed in the minds of the religious leaders. In their minds, God was supposed to condemn sinners, not forgive them, not save them, not show compassion and mercy to them. Let me give you another example. Jesus was crucified between two thieves. These were bad men. Now, one of the thieves in the final moments of his life reached out to Jesus and he asked Jesus to remember him in his kingdom. Basically, he was saying to Jesus, forgive me and save me. And you know what Jesus did? He did just that. He forgave the man. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Folks, the great news is, is that if you have ever messed up morally in your life, other people may not forgive you, but Jesus will. Jesus always will. It doesn't matter what you've done or how many times you've done it. If you come to him with a repentant heart, a humble and contrite heart, asking him to be your Lord and your Savior, to forgive you of your sins, he will do just that. You know who Jesus won't forgive? Jesus won't forgive self-righteous people who are too proud to admit that they've ever done anything wrong. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were too proud to come to Jesus. They were too proud to ask him for forgiveness because they thought they had it all together. If you're listening to me this morning, don't be afraid to admit that you have blown it. We all have. 
Lay your heart bare before the Lord this Easter season. Ask him to forgive you. There's nothing you can hide from him. There's nothing in your heart or in your life that he doesn't know about. If you'll bring your heart to him, lay it bare and say, Lord, forgive me of the things that I have done. He will do just that. Now, the second group of people that Jesus chose to forgive during his lifetime were those that struggled with their faith. And this is big because I think many people and many of you listening to me today have either struggled in your faith or are struggling in your faith. Now, what I'm about to say to you might surprise many of you, but here it is. Did you know that each and every one of the disciples struggled with their faith? Did you know that each and every one of the disciples abandoned Jesus on the night that he was arrested? Jesus, or pardon me, Peter even denied Jesus three times. After Jesus had risen from the dead, the Bible says that Thomas doubted. He didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead and he wouldn't believe until he got to see Jesus and physically touch him. It's incredible that the disciples struggled with their faith and yet Jesus forgave them each and every one of them. Listen, if you have ever backslidden, doubted, or perhaps you were even ashamed or denied your faith at times, and you're wondering, will God receive me back? Will Christ forgive me for my lack of faith or even denying my faith? The answer is yes, he will. He will. If you've ever face planted in your faith, you're in great company. You're in the company of people like Peter, James, and John. Do you know that Peter, James, and John were the closest of all the disciples to Jesus? And yet Peter, James, and John all face-planted at different times in their life. I've been a Christian for 33 years, and I can tell you there's many times my faith has not been where it should be. And I've struggled in my faith. Listen, if Jesus can forgive his disciples for abandoning him, and denying him, and doubting him, then you and I can have confidence that when we struggle in our faith, and we stumble in our faith, that he will forgive us as well. And what I'm talking about applies to you, then the message is simply this, come home, come home. If you stumbled in your faith, if you wandered away, if you wandered far, come home. Come home to the God that created you. Come home to the God that loves you. He'll pick you up, he'll dust you off, he'll receive you into his arms and he will begin to transform your life and he'll use you for eternal purposes. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is in Lamentations chapter three and it says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Every morning that you and I wake up, is a new day to experience the mercy of God in our lives. Listen, don't wait another day to experience that mercy in your life. If you've wandered away, if you've been far away, come home. Come home to the God that loves you, the God that created you. Now here's where it gets really interesting. So if I've lost you, come home, come back. Pay attention because this is really interesting. The last group of people that Jesus chose to forgive during his lifetime were those that were guilty of murder. Do you remember when I started this sermon, I asked you the question, could you forgive a murderer? Well, let's take it one step further. Let's ask this question. 
Could God forgive a murder? Well, I'm going to let the Bible answer that question. Listen to what happened when Jesus was being crucified. Luke 23 says this, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, now listen to this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Isn't that incredible? Jesus was willing to forgive those that had mocked him and mistreated him and ultimately nailed him to the cross. Jesus was willing to forgive his own executioners. Let that sink in for a moment. Here's the point. If Jesus was willing to forgive those who put him to death, what makes you doubt for a moment that he will forgive you? What makes me doubt that he will forgive me? Jesus will forgive anyone that turns to him with a repentant, contrite, humble heart. The question is, will today be the day that you do that? John 6.37 says this, Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Perhaps you're sitting out there and like the woman who came to wash Jesus' feet, maybe you're wondering, well, if I come to Jesus, will he drive me away? Maybe he'll see something in my life or find something in my life and he'll say, sorry, you need to go. He won't. He won't. This is what this verse says. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. There is not a single person Jesus would ever drive away who comes to him, again, with a, re- with a repentant, humble, contrite heart. I want to finish by telling you a story this morning. It's the story of the prodigal son. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, it's really quite simple. A father has two sons. And one of the sons comes to the father and says to his dad, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, this is a big deal because in so doing, the son was going to leave his father's house and go out and establish his own life. And here's why that is so significant, because he was basically saying to his dad, you're dead to me. Dad, you're dead to me. Give me my money. I want out of here. Well, the father gives the son the inheritance. The son leaves and goes off and he squanders all of the money in foolish living. Things get so bad that the only job he can find is feeding pigs. Well, one day, this son comes to his senses and he says to himself, I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'll ask my father if I could at least be one of his servants because if I'm one of his servants, it'll be better than where I am now. And so he, with great humility and a contrite heart, heads home. And as he's walking home, something happens that is completely unexpected. It's unexpected to the son and it might be unexpected to you. Do you know what it was? Well, I'm going to let the Bible tell you what it was. Luke 15. But while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Perhaps you're here today listening to this message and what I just described describes you. You're somebody that has been far away from God and you're thinking about coming home. And you're wondering what's going to happen if I come home. I would like to come home. Maybe I could be a servant in my father's house. You'll be more than a servant. You'll be a son. You'll be a daughter. There'll be great rejoicing when you come home. Jesus will forgive your every sin if you will come to him. He will cancel all your debt if you will believe on him. Leave your old life behind. Repent and turn to the Lord. You know and I know the world has nothing for you. You've tried the world and the world, again, has nothing. Come to the God that created you. Come to the God that loves you. Let him transform your life. Let him use you for eternal purposes from this time forward. You know, the world has gone through some extraordinary changes with this whole coronavirus thing. And if we've learned anything from this coronavirus, we've learned that just how fragile life is and just how short life can truly be. It's almost as if God is trying to get the world's attention. He's kind of shaking up the world and he's drawing people to him. But here's the sad news. The sad news is, even though God has essentially got the world on notice and everybody should be turning their attention to the Lord, many people aren't. And the sad reality is, is once this is over, many people are just going to go back to their old lives. Nothing's going to change. Listen, folks, don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people. God is getting your attention, not only through the events that are happening in this world, but maybe even through this message and through the Bible passages that we read today. Let today be the day that you come home. Let today be the day that you trust in Jesus with all of your heart, leaving your old life behind and walking in newness of life. If you've listened to this message and you're ready to make that decision, or you're ready to make that decision to come home, maybe you've been a Christian, but you've backslidden, you've fallen away, wherever you are, we want to hear about it. So what I want to ask you to do is I want you to go to our website and find our staff page and you can email me directly and say, Pastor Bill, I want you to know about the decision I made. You don't even have to sign your name if you don't want to, but I would love to hear about it. Our staff would love to hear about it. Our church would love to hear about it. What did the people in the Bible do when God turned their world upside down? There's a tradition in the Christian faith Andy did it earlier when he did the announcements. But in the Christian faith, we say, he is risen. And the response is, he is risen indeed. So I'm going to say he is risen. And wherever you are, I want you to say with me, he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless you. Church, know that we miss you. We love you. We look forward to seeing you again in person. Celebrate. Because the Lord is risen. Amen.
You can listen to Heart and Soul Gospel Broadcasts through apps or podcasts on your smartphone. If you're an iPhone user, go to the App Store and download Heart and Soul. If you possess an Android phone, you can download it in the Play Store in the same way. Podcast users can download by searching Heart and Soul Broadcasts in the search box. It also provides you with distinct broadcasts for children's program. By searching Heart and Soul Kids in the podcast, you can directly log on to the broadcast for children's program. For more information, please call and contact the office at 602-866-8999. The following program is called Divine Intervention. long, God. The world has become so corrupt, and there are all kinds of injustice and sin. Why do you not hear our cry for help? God, please allow justice to be uplifted. May the evil one receive judgment, and the righteous one be lifted, God. You are a just God, right? God, are you listening to my prayer? My prayer is not unreasonable, is it? Therefore, please answer quickly. Isn't this a familiar prayer you have heard many times? That's right. This is the prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, and it's also the prayer we give for the corrupt world. Before God, who is sovereign of history, Christians must pray that God would make this world where justice is not enforced and evil ones are powerful, right again. It seems like God must quickly answer this kind of prayer. However, God gave an unexpected answer to Habakkuk's prayer. That's right. God said he would raise up the Chaldeans of the land of Babylon, which was more evil than Judah, and bring judgment upon Judah. The Chaldeans were cruel, violent, and prideful. God would bring judgment upon Judah through them. After hearing God's unexpected answer, Habakkuk was very flustered. God, why are you bringing judgment upon your people through the Chaldeans who are more evil and deceitful? God, will you be still when the evil one swallows the righteous? Is it right for those who are fierce and evil to continue to mercilessly destroy several nations? What if the world sees your people suffer and they distrust and mock you? The prophet Habakkuk honestly expressed the doubts and questions from his heart to God. He stood on the rampart and waited for God's answer to his question. He was desperate and dauntless as he waited for God's answer. At times, we can find ourselves in the same situation as the prophet Habakkuk. When we desperately ask for something in our prayer and a completely different situation happen, we are flustered and doubt God's goodness. The prophet Habakkuk is not different from us. Just like us, he was flustered at God's unexpected answer and he doubted God. Therefore, he complained and questioned by saying, God, how can you do that? God, I cannot understand. However, Habakkuk surprised us. Eventually, he praised God. The prophet Habakkuk gave a praise of confession of faith 
and his heart was abundantly filled with awe and grace. He was distressed with doubts and skepticism about God's providence, but how could he change like this? The situation hasn't changed, but what made the prophet change to a confession of trust and faith? My Lord God, you are holy. You existed before time began. We will not be led to death. You placed them for judgment. My Lord the Rock has used them to teach us about your holiness. Even while Habakkuk complained and questioned God, he remembered and thought about who God was. He believed an almighty God who holds all things in his hands, a holy God who doesn't tolerate evil, a faithful God who will never leave you or forsake you. Habakkuk confirmed this to himself again. At times, our faith is also shaken and we doubt God's leading. When this happens, our shaken faith can find its right place again when we remember who God is and how He has led our lives in the past. Habakkuk's entire heart and spirit were attentive while waiting for an answer, and God began speaking to him again. God told Habakkuk about the end of Babylon, which is the nation He used to bring judgment upon Judah. It may seem like evil is winning now, but at God's appointed time, He will not leave the evil and prideful Babylon alone. Defeat and judgment were eventually delivered to the evil and prideful Babylon. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. This is the first part of Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 2 through 4. The situation hasn't changed and it still seems evil is winning in this world of injustice and deceit. But God is telling how his people should live in the midst of the dark world. It's the word. God said holding on to his word is the way to endure and win this fearful time of judgment. When we trust God until the end and dwell in the word, then we will surely see the word fulfilled. Therefore, in the age of evil, God said, Habakkuk, live by faith. God is saying that the world may shake and people may change, but you who are God's people must not look at the world, but look to God alone and live by faith. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The word faithfulness is amuna in Hebrew and it means to wait, endure, and withstand. It's saying, don't look at the situation and be discouraged and shaken, but hold on to God's word until the end and endure by trusting God. Just as Moses raised both his hands and prayed during the battle with Amalek, Aaron and Hur held Moses' hand together and endured until the end. What God said to the prophet Habakkuk can be applied to us today in the same way. In this evil and obscene age where deceit, injustice, unlawfulness, and rebellion are prevalent and conscience has fallen, 
in this uncertain age where we can't see what's ahead of us, God is telling us to hold on to our faith until the end and to endure and be patient. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I want us to trust God like the prophet Habakkuk did. I want us to wait and endure for God's appointed time instead of the time we have set. This is Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is Habakkuk's praise. It is a confession of faith that goes beyond the situation. I hope that this beautiful praise will become our confession. Whether our feet feel heavy or light depends on our hearts. Even in situations where we feel like we can't walk, God makes our feet like the feet of a deer. Habakkuk looked at the situation and walked heavily, but at one moment he walked lightly like he was flying. The prophet Habakkuk's fearful and trembling situation didn't change and remained, but he had faith in the goodness and faithfulness of God the rock and confessed in a prayer of praise that the Lord was his strength. Dear beloved heart and soul listeners, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? I can clearly hear the Lord's voice in my ears. Amuna, no matter what kind of situation we face, let's endure and be patient through faith until the end. Though we can't see with our eyes or hear with our ears, let's remember God's goodness and that he is our rock. Be patient and wait until that day and be victorious through faith. The Lord will strengthen you and protect you. Today was the last session of Divine Intervention. It was a short three months, but I was truly grateful and happy to think about God's Word with you. Dear beloved listeners, be healthy and victorious in the Lord. God bless.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.